Welcome to Leave Your Mark, where I explore the influences that have shaped the lives of our incredible guests. These are the stories of lives worth talking about. Follow me on Twitter at Built by Scott and Instagram at King O'Payne, or link up with me on my Facebook fan page at Scott G. Livingston. My goal is to create a community of people who take every opportunity to live high-performing lives. Before I get started on today's podcast, I want to take a moment to connect you with my sponsor, ReconditioningHQ.com. Reconditioning is a method and language of integrated practice. It brings the worlds of therapy and conditioning together and helps them become more powerful and more practical. If you live in one or both of these worlds or you use the services of a therapist or conditioning coach, you know that sometimes they don't see eye to eye. They aren't on the same page. Reconditioning provides a time-tested process for aligning these two worlds and creating impactful solutions to performance problems. Follow them at ReconditioningHQ on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, or become a member of their Facebook group, Reconditioning HQ Revolution, and join the Reconditioning Revolution. Hello and welcome to Leave Your Mark. I'm Scott Livingston, and today I have the privilege of speaking with Lauren Goldenberg. Lauren is a strength conditioning coach and the owner of Strength Tech Fitness and Wellness Consultants in Ottawa. For 18 years, he also owned Ottawa's first athlete training facility, the Athletic Conditioning Centre. He's worked for over 30 years for professional and prospective players in the Olympic sports, NHL, OHL, NFL, and the CFL. Lauren's career as an NHL strength conditioning coach spans seven different teams. From 2015 to 2018, Lauren was the director of sports performance for the University of Pittsburgh Medical Centre, where he oversaw the off-ice development program for the Penn's elite AAA players including NHL professionals, juniors, and athletes from a variety of other sports, such as tennis, swimming, baseball, volleyball, and basketball. He's also co-authored with Peter Twist the book Strength Ball Training, now in its third edition, and which has sold over 100,000 copies worldwide. He's also the proud father of two wonderful grown-up children. Welcome, Lauren. Hey, thanks, Scotty. Great to be here. been following you for a long time and uh, excited to be part of this. Yeah, this is going to be a nice, uh, nice hour or so uh, chatting with you. Um, we go back a long time. We're both uh, brothers of Ottawa. <laughs> yeah, gotta love Ottawa. <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of good strength coaches that have come out of Ottawa. Do you think that there's a, in your own hypothesis, there's a reason for that, or is it just coincidence? I don't know. Like a lot of guys actually came out of the University of Ottawa, so I thought it might have been them. But you didn't go to Ottawa, you and you're a pretty damn good strength coach. So I can't say it's the it's the Ottawa thing. Maybe it's just something in the water here, or what have you. Who knows? Were there any uh, influential profs at the university that sort of drove that at all? Because uh, I'm not really familiar with the school as much. But uh... um, well, there was uh, uh, Dr. Reed, who is uh, a pretty high level. Uh, exercise physiologist did a lot of testing with Canadian national teams uh, back in the day. He, uh, he, uh, he taught me uh, exercise physiology one, exercise physiology two, and I really enjoyed those classes with him. He was a wealth of information. Uh, I remember uh, another professor, Dr. Cotton, who was my anatomy professor, who uh, had a really uh, positive influence on my, on my interest in learning about anatomy and biomechanics for that matter. And, um, uh, you know, Ottawa U doesn't seem to have had the, the famous uh, professors that some of the, some of the schools uh, have had, uh, especially out west. There seems to be a lot of really good guys out west. Uh, University of Calgary comes to mind. But, uh, but I, I um, you know, I, I believe Ottawa U really helped me, you know, develop that foundation and continued passion for, um, you know, wanting to be in the field. Mm-hmm. You know, Ottawa, we both grew up there, and I was talking to uh, James Duffy the other day on one of my podcasts who uh, I actually went to school with, and we were reflecting kind of on, you know, Ottawa was one of these towns where you really got outdoors and did a lot of stuff as kids and, and a, yeah. a pretty thriving physical physical community. Um, was that the driver, like the community athletics and stuff, was the driver for you to play sports, or, or were your parents more of an influence? What, what kind of drove you into sport? Um... Gosh, it, you know what? It, it, it's funny because I didn't play. I, I came from a family that did not have uh, a lot of wealth, if you will. And, you know, I honestly didn't get a pair of skates until I was, I think it was 13 or 14 years old. Wow. And, you know, my parents didn't play uh, play sports. They weren't really active. And as a matter of fact, they were the complete opposite. Like my, you know, my father had five heart attacks and was, you know, 
pretty overweight. Uh, my, my mom was uh, not really fit or, and or active. So they, they were actually role models for what I did not want to be. Mm. And, you know, my friends, uh, you know, in Ottawa, we played a lot of street hockey and touch football and what have you. And at some point, I just, I think I bugged my dad enough to get me a pair of skates. And it didn't take long to realize, even though I so, have been so involved in hockey in my life, I had no future as a hockey player. And, uh, but, uh, you, know, you know, played it for, for many years in, in house leagues and what have you. And, and then, uh, you know, got turned on to football when I got into high school. And, uh, and I think just the whole training and the preparation of, uh, of getting ready to play football is really what kind of turned me on to where, uh, where I am now. Mm -hmm. Was I saw in the thing that you wrote, the note that you wrote me that your father died fairly early in your life, like you were probably in college when that happened. Yeah, you know what? I was just I, I was actually in um, I was just getting ready to graduate at Ottawa U, and I was trying to get my uh, my undergraduate thesis paper in on time. And uh, my dad got sick; he passed away, and uh, I was late getting the paper in. And my my professor was really good. He you know he just gave me the time. I took another couple of months to, uh, to get it happen. But it was just when I was, uh, it was just when I was, yeah, last year university, very last year university. And then, uh, you know, and then ironically, you know, my dad knew all the stuff I was doing and it was, uh, gosh, the following year I got my first, uh, uh NHL job. So we didn't really get a chance to, to see that kind of all come together. But, uh, but yeah. Was that, was that an influence like you said, uh, sort of the counter into counter intuition of your choice of what you did. Do you think that was kind of a bit of a, um, a juggernaut for you? Like the fact that, you know, that it happened to your dad and you wanted to be fit and want to be healthier and stuff like that. Oh yeah. 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 A absolutely. Like I, I did not want to, I did not want to be that overweight kid, you know, trying to compete or, um, you know, get involved with sports. I, I wanted to, you know, eat properly and, and, and be kind of healthy. And, and a lot of it's genetic too. Like I know if I was not physically active and you and I have talked, like I've got more orthopedic injuries than, I, than we have time to discuss today. But if I just stopped working out, I could be 215 pounds, no problem. You know, my, my brother was, um, uh, you know, he was quite heavy at times. My sister has struggled with, uh, with weight. So uh, I think it was a real genetic thing. So I, I kind of went the complete opposite way and, um, you know, got heavily involved in all kinds of, you know, I, did, I used to do triathlons, uh, you know, the football, the hockey, I wrestled. I, you know, I just tried to be as active as I possibly could um, to make sure I didn't, I didn't gain any weight. When did you know you wanted to be what you are now? Did you discover that when you were in, in college or were you just going through the, the motions of going to school, so to speak, and then this sort of gen sort of metamorphosized for you by experience? Well, you know what? It, it, it's a good question, Scotty, because I, I, I didn't really have an idea what I wanted to do. I don't think it was until... Gosh, I want to say my senior year of high, and actually it wasn't even that, because I was not a good high school guy. Like, I, I show my kids today, I still have my high school marks, my last report card. My average through five years of high school was 60, barely, 60, okay? 60, wow. 60%. I just, you know, I struggled through high school. I, you know, I think I was bright, but I wasn't, maybe I wasn't smart. I didn't apply myself, and, you know, I, I failed grade 11 English, but wrote a book. So, you know, there's something there. It just had to, had to kind of come out. But I, I remember distinctly in uh, being in the, in the library at J.S. Woodsworth High School where they had these, um, the National Strength and Conditioning Association journals, right? And flipping through them and seeing all the, you know, articles written by NFL strength coaches and these big university football guys. And I was a big football guy in high school. And uh, I thought, wow, that'd be really cool to get a job like that and then the more I looked into it you had to you had to do you know university to become a strength coach like that was it was clearly what the path was and um and 
I only had a 60 average. So I was in, if you'll remember this, Scotty, because back when we went to high school, it was the five-year program, right? You had to go to grade 13. Yeah. So I, I was in the general track. So I was going to community college. My dad's like, yeah, you got to do uh, data processing. So I went to Algonquin College, got into data processing. I failed my first semester. So I knew data processing wasn't for me. Then I went into marketing, switched to marketing. That wasn't a good thing. And at the same time, while that all was going on, I was actually working at the Nautilus Fitness Center in Ottawa for a guy named Kirk Fazio back in the day. And Kirk was an old football guy, drafted by the Riders, gave me my first job in the gym. But all I could do was sit on the desk, answer the phone, sign people to contracts, clean up the gym. That was my job. He would not let me program anybody until I was in university in that area. So I decided after failing out of Algonquin, I'm going to go back and do grade 13, play another year of high school football, and uh, go to Ottawa U and apply for physical education. So the football thing went great. I got in high school. Ironically, I graduated grade 13 with a 60 average. And uh, I applied to Ottawa U for physical education. I did not get in. The marks weren't high enough. And... Um, I got into, uh, uh, what was it called? It was recreation, recreational studies back then. So I thought, okay, I'll, I'll do that. I'll, I'll take some options in Ken and I'll, I'll transfer over. I'll, I'll work my butt off. And, and I remember it was, the, it was two weeks before school started. I was actually in camp with the Ottawa GGs. And I got the call. There were some people who dropped out of the program and I got slid into physical education. Wow. And, and, uh, and I rocked. So I, 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 like I rocked my, I don't want to say I rocked it, but I, I remember finishing with like a, with just under a B average. Like it was like a B minus average, that, like over four years of university. Like I, I'll, I'm the first one to tell anybody, I, I'm, not, I'm not where I am because I'm like super smart, right? I just work really hard. And, um, and as I was doing all that, then I started getting uh, like jobs. Like I, I kind of, kind of volunteered with the Ottawa 67s and I started training different athletes at this Nautilus Fitness Center. Like we had the, um, I negotiated a contract with the Ottawa Rough Riders. It was like 1982 to be their strength coach and have all the guys come into uh, Nautilus Fitness Center at, at Carleton University. And uh, so I was kind of in my, my, um, my glory, like working with these pro football players, right? And, uh, you know, finishing off my degree. And then, then I just started sending letters everywhere. Like, I knew I wanted to be a strength coach by that point, right? As a matter of fact, I remember I, I sent a, a, a letter to Mankato State University uh, to do a graduate uh, internship or a student, whatever it was, to get my master's there. And I, I went through a process, and I, I didn't get in. And um, which is probably a good thing at the time, you know, I, I don't know if I was mature enough to move, move away from home. And, uh, but I had been sending letters out to every single NHL team, every NFL team, every CFL team, got some lots of responses back. Some of the guys who responded to me are in, like in the hall of fame now, which, which is kind of cool to have this, uh, this, this signed letter from these guys. But uh, I remember, uh, one day I was in, I was in Florida, I was in Miami and, uh, cause I'd gotten a letter from Don Chula and this was, you know, this was back when, um, there was some, wasn't a lot of security around and they were, they were in like OTAs. It would have been like July or August. And, uh, I was watching practice. I walked on the field. I walked right up to Don Chula, introduced myself, told him who I was. We exchanged, you know, letters and I just said, how, how, how am I going to get how am I going to get in the NFL kind of thing? And uh, <laughs> anyway, he just looked at me. He just, he just said, he goes, well, he goes, you know, it's going to be really, he just thought it's going to be really tough for you. He goes, there's so many American guys that, uh, that are doing it. He goes, he goes, why don't you try hockey? He goes, hockey's like, it's all over Canada. Why don't you try hockey? And you know, I had been working a little bit in hockey and uh, I just thought, okay, well, I'm going to push the hockey envelope a little bit more. And uh, you know, I think, uh, gosh, which from the, the next year or two later, I got my job with the, with the blues and, and things just, just kind of started rolling that way. But, 
but yeah, so so I can say Don Chula pushed me into hockey. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna split for a second, come back to getting in the NHL and stuff, but I'm curious where the the business side of you erupted from because you've kind of had this parallel path thing in your career where you were a businessman in Ottawa, you built a couple of, of businesses, but you also always had this impassioned heart around being a, a strength coach. So was the business piece something that was in your soul or was that something that you wanted as a backstop for everything you were doing or what, what, what drove, drove that in you? Um, I, I want to say it was opportunity. Hmm. I, I think it was opportunity more than anything else. Cause I, I really wanted to be just a, a full-time strength coach, but as you will know, and all of your listeners will know that, um, it's not easy getting rich being just a strength coach, right? <laughs> you need to have a backup plan, right? And as I was working for the St. Louis Blues at the time, I had a, I had a friend of mine who was working at what was uh, Bell Northern Research, BNR, here in Ottawa. BNR was, you know, a fairly large employer next to the federal government, and um, he was a former hockey guy himself. He played hockey at St. Lawrence, and he... He just called me up one day because I was still working at the Nautilus Center at Carleton University and traveling back and forth to St. Louis and Peoria and, 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 and doing that gig. And, and he said, what are you doing after training camp? And I said, well, I'm just, I'm just going, going back to Carleton. He said, uh, he goes, I, have an I think I have an opportunity for you. He said, BNR wants to build this 10,000-square-foot fitness facility. He says, uh, he goes, you should bid on it. I, I didn't even know what bidding on it meant at the time. So, you know, he's like, uh, put a letter together for me. And so I put this letter, sent it to him with my St. Louis Blues business card. And it went to, um, you know, BNR. They sent me this tender. So you had to respond to all these questions, which I, which I did. I think I had my mother help me with some, some of the questions. Or she typed it up <laughs> for, for sure. Anyway, so and, and we, you know, I put a financial bid in to manage this for a year. And I vividly remember, so this would have been uh, 1987. And uh, the guys bring me in and they said, Lorne, we really like your background. We think you could do a great job here. If you can do it for the St. Louis Blues, you can do it for us. Um, we don't think you're charging us enough money. So my budget for the year in, 90, in, uh, in 87 to run this facility was, I remember it was like $85,000. And that was me and I think two and a half other guys, right? And he's like, take, take this proposal back, rework your numbers. We want to make sure you're going to pay your employees a fair wage. We don't want a revolving door and come back to us. So I went from like 85 grand to 125 grand. And that was, uh, wow. gosh. So we started with Nortel. It, came, it was like a one little fitness facility in Ottawa which grew to 14 facilities across North America in their heyday. So we grew with Nortel and we kind of came back down with Nortel when they, when they filed for bankruptcy. So the, the good thing is Nortel gave me that opportunity to create and develop that business. I learned a lot through trial and error and, you know, strength tech has been around for, you know, th this is our 31st year. We're in our 31st year. So Without a doubt, that opportunity, I think, helped me um, flourish as a strength coach because I, I had the financial wherewithal to take these jobs that, say, didn't pay really well early on, right? Get them, get the experience in, create relationships with coaches and GMs, and it got to a point where, you know, I could make a living as a, as a, as a strength coach. So how did you manage the, you know, for the listener? Because on paper, that sounds to me to be a daunting task to be able to be a business owner and a startup business owner. At yeah. the same time trying to work in, at the highest levels of professional hockey and deliver yourself in a way that you're delivering good, good service, so to speak. How did you, how did you balance that, that scale, so to speak? You know what? you have to hire good people and empower them. Mm -hmm. That's, that's the bottom line. And I had a, 
I had a, a, a woman working for me who was like the VP of Strength Tech at the time, Lori Armstrong. And, uh, and then I hired Janice Hodgins, who uh, was kind of like, she was kind of like an administration, but she was an assistant to Lori. And those two just ran and, you know, I mean, people in Ottawa think of Strength Tech as being me, but I always think of it as being them. And I paid them really, really well. And, um, you know, I could not have done it without them. And, and, and I know factually that it wasn't just that Nortel contract. There were many other corporate opportunities that we were able to get because people were enamored with my uh, experience in professional sports and wanted to bring that um, to, uh, to their workplace. Mm. And you, I don't know if it was necessarily with Strength Tech or whether it was ACC, but there's been a lot of really talented strength conditioning people who've, who've um, mentored under you over the years. Uh, Mike Goff is down in Florida now, uh, Matt Price, Adam Douglas, uh, just talking to one of your prior guys, John Zahab yesterday and stuff. Uh, yeah. You know, and I'm sure there's many others that I don't even know the names of. Like, what, what did that mean to you, the opportunity to mentor, work with guys, see what they're doing in their careers now? How does that feel now? Well, it, it feels really good. Like, every time I see these guys, I, I mean, Adam Douglas, you know, Matt Price, Mike Goff. Like, Goffer, he didn't actually work for me at the ACC. He, he worked for me at Strength Tech before he really grew himself in, into, into that sport performance guy that he is today. But uh, when I see those guys, they are so, they've got so much more than I ever had, like up here, like smart, smart guys, right? Like Adam's, Adam Douglas finished up his PhD. I, I think, I know Matt did his master's. He might have his PhD by now. They've been so, so successful. And, I, and ironically, as you may remember, um, Matt and I were, were both interviewed at the same time for the head strength coach job with the LA Kings. We, it came down to between him and I, so it was, you know, it was it, it was uh, ironic when when he he got it. It was going to be an XA, it was going to be an ACC guy either way who got that job. But it's so cool to see, you know, so many guys do so well. But I will tell you that when they were ready to move on and leave me, it's it's you know when you have good people and they leave for you know the next stage of their life, you're happy for them on one hand, but it's a you know, how do you, how do you replace a guy like Adam Douglas or Matt Price in a, in a facility like that? Like it's, it's tough and it takes, it takes time to mentor them and get them to the, to the level where, where you can let them be on their own. Right. So, but it's uh, yeah, very cool how, how that's all happened. And, you know, you talked, you talked about mentioned Johnny Zahab, who's, you know, got his own pretty good reconditioning style business uh, here in Ottawa. Uh, he's had it for many years and, has been very, very successful with it. So it's, it's kind of cool. Yeah. It's always the challenge of, um, what, you know, when you craft and help create people, uh, what, that they go off and do their thing and you're, you're losing good people at the same time. Yeah. 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 Toughest, toughest. I think it's the toughest thing about business. Right. And, and now like, to remember how many years did you have your business? But like how many years, when, when did you start your business? I started uh, high performance back in the mid nineties, but the functional space was Oh three and it's still winning, but I have partners. So yeah. And it's it, like, it, it's tough. It's tough to keep. I find like we closed the ACC. I, before I went to Pittsburgh, I closed the ACC in March of 2015. And I found that I want to say from, I don't know, maybe around 2005 onwards, it, it got tougher to keep good people. Like, like there's a time when, you know, some people would want to stay with you for ever or an extended period of time. Now I find these young buckaroos are always looking for the next best thing that will put more money in their pocket. And, and, you know, there's, there, I think there's something to that. Everybody needs to make money and be able to pay their bills. There's also, you know, the learning and experience opportunity that, you know, that I think they need to gain before they, they, they see the, the dollars for their next, their next challenge. You know, people aren't, I find they're not willing to pay the price anymore. Like I remember just, you know, in Pittsburgh, guys not wanting to, uh, we had a cleaning company who came in and cleaned every night. Like 
how many times did I walk through that gym and I see like the dust bunnies building up on the squat rack where all these, all we have to do is just take a, take a rack. So I would be doing it and they're like, why are you doing that? <laughs> like the cleaning staff does it. <laughs> I'm like <laughs> looking at the guy, like seriously, <laughs> you know, <laughs> anyways. So, so just with all that being said, like, I just find there's been a, a change in the, um, attitude if you will with some of the younger guys who are just getting into it now well it's well it's an interesting segue actually because um and it'll help me sort of come back to your start in the nhl but you know there weren't a lot of who you know mentors or people that you looked up to and you and i come from a very similar age of the profession in canada where it really was a, a pretty open canvas it wasn't like there was you know, every, every team in the NHL had a strength coach. Uh, for me, like, uh, I was probably the first university strength coach in Canada that was ever hired, hired full-time. And the so, – so it just wasn't – you weren't competing. You were starting, you know. Right, and, right. And now it's competing, and people are competing all the time. So when you look back at that time, who, who were the anchors for you that told you that this was actually possible? You know that, that, that doing this professionally was actually possible in Canada. Well, um, that's a good, great question. Uh, not sure. Some I, I'm not sure. Sure, somebody, somebody actually said what is possible up here. I was kind of persistent with a lot of people, like with with the Ottawa 67s, for example. Right when, when I got that job, the coach I approached them, but the coach. Was, uh, it was a guy named Bob Ellett, who was Dave Ellett's father, who was a, a longtime NHLer. And, uh, you know, it was after the Memorial Cup, so they lost a lot of guys. The team didn't do really well, but he, he had big buy-in. And after two years, he got fired, and I wanted to stay on. I wanted to stay on, but Brian Kilray came back. And Brian Kilray, as great of an all-time coach he is, he had no interest in anything I was going to do off ice. So I remember his, my first practice, his first line to all the guys was, because he wanted to try it out. He, when, so imagine this. So this is like 1986. Okay, guys, Goldie's here in the gym. Go ahead if you want, if you want to work out. <laughs> <laughs> so I had, I had one guy show up. I remember it was Andrew Castles. Andrew Castles, who had a long NHL career. He was keen about training nobody else showed up and I had you know what like I was kind of I didn't think he was being really respectful of my time because I think I was making ten dollars a session if that back then so I just I, I kind of walked away from that but and then the, the St. Louis Blues thing came but I remember reading a lot about Pat Croce who was the strength and conditioning coach for the Philadelphia Flyers at the time. And, and Pat was really the, the first guy in the NHL. And I remember making the call to him when I was negotiating with the Blues, just about, you know, what to get, what to ask for. I remember, like he's, I don't know if you've ever met Pat or not in your, in your... I think I did, but not for very long, but yeah. Yeah, but anyways, he's, he's a pretty high energy guy. And he's like, man, he goes, don't worry about the money. Just make sure you get the ring. He goes, if you win, you want that ring. Get the ring. And uh, so I didn't get a lot of money, and I didn't get the ring. But uh, it, was all, it, was, it was all good. And it was just, like I said, like, it was persistence, if you, if you will. So I was like the, the third guy officially, as far as I can recall, because I had every single media guide. I was always checking to see who had the jobs, and the St. Louis Blues in 1987 were the, were, the, were the third team to ever get it. Doug McKinney, who was with the Whalers and the Penguins and the Buffalo Sabres, was the, uh, was the second guy. Yeah. And uh, so it wasn't somebody pushing me. I just thought that, that I kept seeing it evolve. I knew it was going to evolve and continually evolve. And, and when I got Gary Roberts, you know, as like a 17-year-old, you know, that was, a, that was a big deal for my career because I helped turn him around physically at the time when he basically failed every single Calgary Flames 
fitness tests, and they, they literally sent him home. I think I want to say it was, I can't remember if it was Badger Bob Johnson or Terry Crisp, who was the coach at the time, but it must have been Terry Crisp. It had to be Terry Crisp. But anyway, so they sent him home for failing the strength conditioning tests. You wow. think the CBA would allow that anymore? <laughs> wow, that's, that's interesting. You know, I'm curious for my own uh, interest because our paths kind of were a bit different in the fact that you kind of got in in those late 80s and and really worked with a lot of teams through the 90s and I came in sort of late 90s after my university career and my impression when I came in was there was a bit of a foundation uh, it was still a bit weak in Canada in some some sense there were still teams in Canada who were like the Canadians who didn't have a, a guy or beliefs but the American teams had started to hire guys but in meeting guys like Howie Wenger, who was what, what quite involved with the Rangers, there was more of a drive in the 80s because of the Russians sort of handing the NHL their, their ass in, in, a, in a tournament back in the early 80s to, on the cardiovascular side of conditioning, you know, the VO2 max stuff. So when you came in, you were kind of walking into that. Was, what was the response around strength training in those early days from hockey players how much convincing did you have to do? What, what were the early challenges with what you, you brought to the table in those well, well, in the 80s, it was, uh, you know, it was, it was definitely a challenge. The young guys, like the young guys, I remember like a young Jocelyn Lemieux. I remember a, a kid named Herb Raglan. These were all like third, fourth liner grinder guys who just ate up what I was doing. Gino Cavallini. Gosh, if I had my picture here with all the players on it, I'd, I'd, I'd pull up some more names for you. But then there was a there was a guy like Brian Sutter, and I remember it must have been our first or second workout in training camp, and and uh, you know I was you know I was really eager. I was probably a lot louder than I am today, and uh, he just he just bent over very quietly. He said, "Goldie, Goldie, listen, because I've been in the league 15 years, it's going to be okay. Just just dial it back a bit." <laughs> You know, so, you know, so then contrast that to my, my, my next job, like when I was with the Chicago Blackhawks and Mike Keenan, and it didn't matter whether you like training or not with Mike Keenan, you're doing it because the way Mike Keenan ran, ran that ship, I mean, it was like a, a college football team. Like it was, you didn't have the option. It was work. And he wanted to know who was working and who wasn't working. So a um, lot, of, lot of buy-in there. You still had guys you had to kind of battle, battle with. And then, you know, by the time I got to the, the Quebec Bordiques, it was, uh, we, we had such young teams. They were always in a, in a building phase, a rebuilding phase, right, from the early 90s to, to the mid-90s. And I, 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 I locked in with Joe Sackick at the right time, and he got cut from Team Canada in 1991. Like, who would ever think Joe Sackick would get cut from a Team Canada training camp? And, uh, and I think Howie Wanger told him he had weak legs. And that was his problem. <laughs> oh, gosh. So, so I, I, just coincidentally, I ended up with the Quebec Nordiques. And he knew me from there. And I, I was able to make a connection with him because Gary Roberts, who was my client, he was having like an outstanding camp. He was actually the very last cut of that camp. If Mark, Mess Mark Messier, who sat out the camp, didn't decide to come back on the last day, Gary Roberts would have played in that tournament. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I got, to, I got to know Joe really well through that. And when I, when I made it in Quebec, like he was my number one fan in, in Quebec. And we worked closely together, which helped bring the other guys, other young guys in, mm -hmm. right? So it kind of really it really morphed and grew up like every team I was with, there was more, more buy-in each year and to the point where, you know, guys started hiring guys off season to really help them, you know, get them to where they needed to be because they wanted to keep their contracts or they were in a contract uh, renewal or they were coming off an injury that they weren't recovering from really well. So it's, uh, it, it, you know, the climb has been like that with regard to, buy-in and attitude from players uh, over the years, that's for sure. It always seemed for us, I'm looking in, I've never had this conversation with you, but you know, you worked for a lot of different teams. You had Strength Tech, you had sort of your home base in Ottawa. I know at one, one point you did start to work with the Ottawa Senators when they, in their early days. Um, and I know I've talked to you about that and, and 
that sort of being one of the ones that you really wanted to stay the course with. But when you look back at your career, do you think that having the business, like it's kind of a, a question of commit commitment to the whole thing. And did you have that opportunity and chose not to commit to the whole thing as a, as a full time, I'm there, I'm always there and don't have my business. Like what were the, what were the, the playing back and forth in your mind of, I want to work in the NHL. I'm going to work in it with a team and, but I've got this business back home. How did you balance all of that? So to speak, if you know what I'm saying? Well, it was tough. Like I always wanted to be there full, full time. Right. I was there so early, like the St. Louis Blues was, I, I was in and out all the time. Chicago Blackhawks, I was in and out all the time into their uh, minor league team in Indianapolis a, a, a lot. And I remember I, I shared this story with you before, but Mike Keenan, uh, you know, he wanted me around more also. And I don't know why, but it was always like budgetary. It's budgetary. We, we don't have the budget to bring you in full time. And it's not like I was going to be making a, 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 a lot of money, but... Uh, he sat me down one time and he said, uh, he said, okay, we, we're going to bring you in full time. He goes, uh, you are going to, uh, drive the truck to pick up the visiting team's, uh, bags. He goes that, that, that way we can justify having you around all the time. And, and I'm like, I was, God, how old was I? I was like 26, 27 years old. And I, I thought I'm in, like, I, I was ready to do anything. Like I just wanted to move to Chicago and be part of that team full time. And, and then Mike is, uh, you know, he's, I, I don't know, he, he was a thinker. Like, he, he, he made me the offer. He stopped. And he, he uh, looked into the air for, had to be an uncomfortable 30 seconds. I'm like, what's wrong? He goes, he goes, he goes, fuck it. You're not doing that. He goes, you didn't go to school to do that. He goes, uh, guys will lose respect for you. You're not doing that. He goes, we'll figure it out sometime. Don't worry about it. Just, we'll just stay the course. And, uh, <laughs> So, you know, like, and even my job with the, with the Canadians, right? Like I was there for every home game and every practice, but my deal was I get to come home when they go on the road because there just wasn't a lot being done on the road. Even like 2000 and that was 2009, 2010. The guy, I know the guys are doing a lot more now. And, and I had two young kids and just going through my divorce and, it was would have been tough for me to commit commit to Montreal with my kids, and uh, you know, thank goodness Jacques Martin was there. We had a long-standing relationship with Jacques Martin, and you know, you had actually just resigned just earlier, and um, you know, so Jacques was kind of kind of caught, if you will, short-handed, and I was I was probably the best option for at, at that time, mm -hmm. right? So you know, I was there a lot more than I was anywhere else. And, uh, and did ironically make a couple of road trips to Florida. Uh, you know, I don't know how, but I, I got to make those road trips to Florida and, and in the winter. Coincidentally, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Coincidentally, you know, so, but it's, I just, uh, you know, like, like now, like, you know, I'm, I'm 57 now. I, I don't, you know, in, in my mind, I, I would still like to work for an NFL team full time, complete buy in one. Cause I can, I'm not sure I want to, you know, I guess if the opportunity was right, but work in the National Hockey League again, like I think the NHL strength coaches work harder than any other sport. Like these guys, I don't think they've got three weeks off in a year, to be quite honest with you. Like they're busting their ass in season with the guys, in season training, helping take care of injuries. And then as soon as the off season is done, there's some guys that want to just stay in town and start working out a week later. So they don't get a lot of time off and... And I'm, I, as I've gotten older, have appreciated, you know, quality time. And uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sure if I'll, I'll ever go, go back there uh, again, but kind of, you know, just to go back to your, your, your question about balancing, like, I, I guess I've been really lucky that I've been able to, to balance like a bit of a professional sports career with a business career and um, and they both kind of enhanced each other, if you will. Mm -hmm. Let's segue off of that a little bit to just talk about um, you know balancing that with 
the development of a young family and uh, all that stuff when that started happening in your life how how challenging was that and what did you learn about yourself in becoming a dad and and sort of dealing with that while you were managing a business and working in the NHL and everything else well, I figured out that uh, that husbands and wives and men and women don't always think the same way, right? <laughs> That's what I really learned. Um, you know, uh, you, 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 you try and be a good provider and a good father and, you know, a responsible business person. And, and you know, like, like most competitive guys, you're, you, you want to take on that, that struggle and that juggle, if you will, right? I like that. Struggle and juggle, nice. <laughs> sometimes, it, sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't. I, I'll, I'll tell you, I, I, I remember, I think it was in 2001 or 2002 when Gary Roberts and I and Brian McCabe were planning Station 7, right, uh, in Toronto. So I was, I was, cons uh, oh no, I wasn't with the Quebec Nordics. Who was I with? Maybe not have been with a team that, but I had strength tech. I was speaking at a lot of conferences. I was uh, doing a lot of training had the ACC going, we're opening up, you know, station seven in Toronto. I remember my ex-wife saying, please don't do that. You don't need to do that. And I'm like, it's going to be okay. She goes, she goes I, I really don't want you to do it. And of course I did it. And like, I mean, we didn't split up because of that. Clearly there are other things, other things happening, but um, you know, so yeah. So men and women don't always see eye to eye on that. But what I will say with regards to my kids, and, 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 and you know, because you're, you're, uh, you're, you're a father, you will do anything for your kids, and you want to make sure that your kids are aware that you are present and available and there for them. And so that, that's been, that was my focus. And, and I could do that and juggle all those things at the same time, but maybe not keep, keep a wife happy for, for whatever reason. <laughs> Can I say, can I say that on this podcast? <laughs> Anything you want. That's <laughs> a segue to the, a piece that I do in my podcast on uh, from a book that I uh, found a number of years ago called "The Day You Were Born." So you were born March sixth, and uh, you are a Pisces six. So your purpose is to achieve inner discipline so that your great spirit and charm can manifest in a talent or a spiritual quest instead of an obsessive addiction. Happiness is not best achieved by those who seek it directly. Bertrand Russell. This is a good advice for any six who sees love, pleasure, and the good things in life often to excess. Pisces sixes have a need for truth, beauty, and love. If they can translate some of that need into a spiritual path, they'll find true happiness. Because no human being will fulfill their needs or desires. Pisces sixes must learn how to give the dis with discrimination and discipline. Once they do, they'll get back everything they want. The soulmate they are seeking is possible, but they must first know how to stand alone. Pisces sixes have powerful feelings. Their ability to charm and influence others is a great talent. Pursuit of truth and justice can turn them into rebels. They despise boredom and prefer their own company to that of the common folk. Either they feel they're special and better than others, or they play the part of the victim who needs others in order to be the whole. They must learn to be to set boundaries. Only then will life be a joy instead of an overwhelming burden. Wow, <laughs> I'm I, I, I'm connecting with a lot of what you said there. <laughs> That's so funny. It's an interesting uh, little piece that I do for people who are just here. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's not necessarily directed around some kind of mission statement or whatever. It's more just kind of you know, your spiritual. Uh, center, so to speak. So. Yeah, yeah, very cool. Actually, I, I, I'm going to ask you to set, copy that and send it to me. I will. <laughs> um, you know, I don't, I don't want to get into uh, your daughter Daniel's uh, health thing, but I know you, you know she had a struggle last year. I want to know more about what you learned about yourself in dealing with that. You know, like, you, you know, the, the challenge of, of of having one of your kids maybe be sick and and what you, you had to go through to sort of manage that yourself and manage your work and stuff. Oh, you're going to make me cry here if I have to start talking about that. It was, <laughs> it was, <laughs> it was, it was just, you know, it was, you find out a lot about yourself. Like, it, like it doesn't matter what you have going on or who needs you or who needs you to write a program. You're out, right? You just, you just, 
drop everything and go and, and, and focus every bit of energy on, on helping your, your, uh, your son or daughter, uh, get through whatever health challenges they have. But, um, it was, uh, it, it taught me a lot of just about being able to, to let go and, and, and dial that in. It also showed me, you know, how strong my, my daughter was and how independent she was because through a, a lot of that, like, you know, she, 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 she got diagnosed with ovarian cancer and had to do the 12 weeks of chemotherapy and emergency surgery. It was, it was pretty, um, it was pretty tough. And, uh, and anybody who's gone through chemo or seen somebody gone through chemo, you know, what it can do to people. And my, you know, it was, it was tough to see my daughter go through that. And, uh, but I, I made sure I was there for that whole thing. But with her that I saw was that when she got off the chemo, like she had, let's say it was good recovery ability, but she, you know, within a day or two of being off the chemo, she kind of came back and she found her way into keeping herself busy to not just be moping around all day, um, you know, suffering the effects of the chemo. And she, she found herself in, um, uh, with her, her real passion, which is baking. She has this little company, if you will, called Dan Gets Baked, which is an incredible little cake, cupcake baking thing that has morphed into something pretty big on, on Instagram, if I can give her a plug there. But it was just, it was, it was just a complete fluke how that happened. You know, she, so I just, just, and she's like, you know, like she didn't want to be around anybody on her off weeks of chemo. She kind of wanted to just, you know, do her thing. And she was kind of trying to get some studies done and she's, she just focused, zeroed in on baking and she, she, it really showed me how independent she was, even though she was very dependent on us through the, through the real, real tough time. And then, and then I had to find a way of trying to pull back because she didn't want you around. So like, you're, you know, it's almost like, like with an athlete, when you first get that athlete, you want, you're, you're in there, you're in there, you're in there, you're coaching and queuing them up and getting them to work. And then they like, Hey, like, don't bother me anymore. I, I, I got it. Like, go coach somebody else kind of, kind of thing. And, uh, so it was, um, yeah, probably the, the toughest, toughest thing I, I ever had to go through. And you find out a lot about yourself and your family when you, when you, when you delve into that. Well, it's, uh, it, it's, I asked you the question because, you know, I've known you for a while and I find it's, there's kind of like a, it's almost like there's a, a, a uh, a different man that I get to talk to you, you you've kind of there's a softness in you that you know you you that you, you maybe have embraced through some of the things you've gone through in the last few years and I I wonder as a coach what has changed in you in the way you coach guys from say 20 years ago now that that you apply based on some of the things you've gone through in your life? well I I'll be honest with you like I think early on and I hate to say it, but maybe early on, and I think people go through these different phases. I was maybe a li little, a little more cockier than I should have been at the time because I was, you know, at a at a really cool place. I'd, I, I don't want to say I made it, but I was kind of at a semi pinnacle, if you will, and um, you know, maybe thought too highly of myself and. And, and as I evolved and went through different jobs and, you know, people get fired and get rehired and you meet people and you, and you, you kind of learn the ability to learn things from other people, you become more embracing of other people and philosophies. And, um, you know, so I think, you know, over my career, I think I, I've evolved that way. And some, some people will say I'm, I'm like, sometimes I'm too sensitive now you know, listen to people too deeply and try and help them with, with too many things. But, um, I think, um, you know, over the years, that's been like a, like a positive thing, you know, like, like for me, for me anyways, and, uh, you know, life brings you all kinds of, you know, challenges, whether it's job wise or family wise. And you, I guess you get opportunities to learn from those at each step of your life and your career. And you just kind of, uh, you just kind of evolve from it. And, um, 
like even myself now, like, you know, last month I was you know, in Costa Rica with you guys doing the reconditioning course. And this past week I was in Vancouver with uh, Rob Williams and his sport core. And, you know, so my, my, my wanting for, for knowledge and listening and interacting and, and connecting with other people in the industry is honestly, it's probably greater now than it ever was. And I don't know if that's just because I'm recognizing that's a good thing to do, or it's because I'm also recognizing, hey, I wasn't that smart guy in school. I didn't get the master's degree. And uh, I better, you know, cue myself up with some quality people like, like, like yourself and, and, and be a sponge and try and keep learning so I can, you know, make it to retirement and, you know, and keep my income going for a few more years. <laughs> you've, you've had um, a wonderful longstanding relationship with another guy that interviewed on the show, uh, Pete Twisty, you wrote a book, a couple books with. What's what's the uh, what's the center of that relationship? The, you know, what what keeps you guys connected, and what is it the experiences that you had, or just is there something about the two of you guys that you, you get along? I don't know. I think just love and respect. Honestly, like uh, I remember when I first met Pete, like he was he had he wasn't. I don't think he was working for the Canucks. I think he was just. I don't know if he was just before he worked for the Canucks, but I know he, he finished up at UBC and uh, he was, you know, just some guy that liked to always have a good time, always in a good mood, always ready for a party, always ready to learn and always ready to work, right? Like he, he's just so embracing of every facet of life. Like if, if you talk to Pete, you know, Pete will find a way of when he's delayed on a flight with Air Canada, he's going to find something good in that delay. He won't talk about what's bad about the delay. He will talk about what is good about the delay. And uh, he's an energizing guy for me to be around. And we've always just enjoyed each other's company. Our training philosophies are, are very similar. Uh, ironically, we went through divorces at the same time and our, our kids are close in age. And uh, I think we just had a, had a great connection and um you know he's he's just somebody who I, i've always kind of i'm only a couple of years older than him but you know he's always somebody i've looked up to uh with regard to how he carries himself so i got a, a ton of res- ton of respect for, for for pete and what he's uh he's accomplished and i think you know i'd like to think he he might think the same same of me because we we just spent uh we spent three days in whistler this 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 past week together with our with our kids which we just, you know, we were talking about how that, our relationships evolved from like drinking beers in Las Vegas at an NSCA conference and, you know, traveling all around the world, writing books. Now we're, we're having vacations with our kids. It's, it's, it's kind of cool when you think about it. I'm going to read you, I'm going to read you his because, you know, this is why I do this because you're going to freak when you hear this. So his purpose is to be individualized enough to share your hopes and dreams with others without compromising your own, to be able to set boundaries so that your humanitarian energy is not used against you, but helps you establish truth and justice in the world. One of the most important results you can bring into this world is the the you that you really want to be. It doesn't matter what everyone else is doing, you'll do your own way, do it your own way, even if it means walking alone. The individual prevails. You take your own vacation in San Salvador during the revolution. You move into a city when everyone you know is leaving. You wear your thrift shop fine to an exclusive dinner party. Is that not really? <laughs> oh my God. That's... <laughs> to a T. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah, that's Twister for sure. <laughs> yeah, I figured you'd get that. Uh, <laughs> um, if, you met, if you met Lauren Goldenberg of 20, 25 years old in a, in a hallway tomorrow, what would you say to him? Oh gosh, it's it, it, it's not it, it's not the uh, it's not the thing that you would you would think that I might say to him. But uh, I, I would tell him, don't get that microfracture surgery on your knee that you had in two thousand and seven. Dumbest thing you ever did. <laughs> gosh, I would. You know what? I would. Uh, I, I think back to it. Like I, I'm. There's not too honest to God. There's not too many things I I regret or decisions I made 
in life in my career. Like I've been happy with kind of all of them and kind of like you, you know, you, you, you get jobs, you lose jobs, uh, for, for, for whatever reason, but we always seem to survive, right? We always seem to, I think good people end up, uh, up surviving. I, I, um, I, I honestly, I only have, I have two regrets in my life. Like, you know, honestly, one is that knee surgery. Cause I kind of let the doctor go ahead and do it. Not realizing what a microfracture was at the time. And I, I, I quit the university of Ottawa football team. Like, honest to God, those are my two biggest regrets in life. Like, like all my experiences that I've had in, um, in, in business, working with teams, negotiating with, um, negotiating with, you know, general managers on contracts have been, uh, positive learning experiences that I benefited each, each way. I wouldn't, I wouldn't go and I really wouldn't change any, any of it. And, uh, I would just, uh, you know, if I was, if I was talking to that guy, I would just, you know, again, that 25 year old kid, I would just say, you know, keep, keep driving, keep pushing the envelope, keep working hard and, and don't take anything for granted. And, and which, which I, I, I never, I don't really think I ever have. And, uh, I think those are, those, I think those are important points that your younger listeners might want to, want to think about. Um, because like I said, the, I find the world has changed uh, with, with regard to, to, to that specifically. And, um, and, and I think it's important. I think it goes to character and, uh, yeah. What do you think, do you think are the most important character attributes of a, of a quality conditioning practitioner or, you know, anybody who's in, in those rooms working with those athletes so they can do a good job. I mean, take the technical and all the skill sets away, the, the character stuff, what do you feel makes, makes or breaks that relationship with players? Honestly, I, I think they, I've always wanted, and I've said this before, I, I always want the higher guys, right, who will walk into that room and treat it like it's their own, right? They need to take ownership of it, responsibility of it, they need to not think of themselves as, a, as an employee. They need to think of themselves as an owner. So they're going above and beyond that they, of what's expected to be successful. Whether that's, you know, walking through the gym and seeing somebody left a towel on the ground and picking it up or ensuring that that, you know, athlete or kid or whoever is in the gym knows that you are there for them, you know, kind of, from the time they walk in to the time they walk out. And, uh, and now with social media and everything, I mean, there's so many distractions for employees and athletes while they're in the gym, if they've got their phone in the gym. I think that's, uh, that's most important, but, but, um, yeah, ownership, like ownership, act like an owner, act like it's your own. Last question, my friend, you uh, will perish from this earth one day, but hopefully not for a very long time. Is there anything you would like people to remember you for? Um, I would say I'd like people to remember me for being uh, passionate and believing in what I've been doing, you know, more than anything else. I, I may not have been right my, all through my whole career, but I, I've been passionate about it and I believe in it. And, and I've been try, and I've tried to share that with the, the people who I've worked with and, and the athletes who I've trained. Actually, I'll give you one more bonus question. Why is Batman so important to you? You've never seen Batman and me in the same room together, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know what? God knows, long story short, but um, you know, when I was really young, we moved from uh, Montreal to Ottawa. We used to go to the Lord Elgin Hotel every Sunday to, so my mom and dad could pick up the Montreal Gazette. And uh, I, they would always bring me a Batman comic. I'd always get a Batman comic. And it just, I don't know, I was just so enamored with, with the, the concept of this superhero. And this, so this was in the early 60s, so I want to say 65, 66. And then the, and then the, the, the series came out and... You know, here's this guy. He's just a regular guy. He can't fly. He can't stop bullets. He's just a normal guy. And, and because he was just so normal, but could help people, I was just uh, just completely enamored with with the with the whole dual identity thing. And so, 
Yeah, God, God knows. I, I, I've, I've tried to include them in many of my presentations, as you're well aware. <laughs> well, I was expecting you to be dressed like him today or for the interview. <laughs> it's been a pleasure, sir. Thanks for taking an hour with me. And uh, I know, as usual, I'll probably speak for hours with uh, fellow peers and colleagues and friends uh, on this topic. So, but I can't chew up all of your life. So. Awesome. Well, th thank you for having me. It's been, uh, been a great time, Scotty. All right, buddy. Thanks. Thanks for joining us today on Leave Your Mark. I hope we've left a mark on you today, and we wish only that you pay it forward by sharing this story, taking the time to rate and comment on this podcast. Please follow us at Twitter at Built by Scott and Instagram at King O'Payne, and become a member of this community at Scott G. Livingston on Facebook. Have a great day. Music by Cedric de Saint-Rome.